Awesome. That's pretty neat, isn't it? Uh, what a cool thing as we approach the end of the year, this year-end gift. Um, you know, I just remember being in a, a meeting several months ago, and, um, and John brought this idea of, of um, and you heard about this a couple of weeks ago, of these orphans that we've been able to be a part of their life at the Hope Center, but for us to be able to offer them an education past the eighth grade, um, wow, I just remember sitting there and going, our church will love that. <laughs> That's awesome. What an incredible privilege. And then to hear from hear from Jonathan and just to think of this gift that this will be to that church. Um, it's, it's pretty pretty incredible. So I, too, would just encourage you, as John has, uh, just to prayerfully consider how we can be the biggest blessing we possibly can on the other side of the world, a place that, uh, that, that needs help. And, um, and we're going to be a, a huge blessing to them. I think we'll come through um, like you all have in the past. So it's, it's really fun to think about. Well, before we dive in this morning, uh, I just want us to, to, to pray together. You know, I just reading just this morning in John, uh, James chapter 4, verse 8, and I want to share this with you. It says this, James 4, verse 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. And uh, that's one of those promises that you just read and you go, wow, I can, can hang my hat on that. That's a, that's a big promise. And so what I want us to do is just draw near or come near to God right now, and then he will come near to us. That's a promise we can bank on. And so would you pray with me and, and then we'll, we'll dive in this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Lord, we love you, and uh, Lord, it's a privilege. Thank you for how we're led in worship week in and week out here. Lord, what a gift it is to us. Um, God, you are worthy. And this morning, we just want to cry out to you, and we just want to say, Lord, maybe some have had a great week. Others maybe are struggling. Um, Lord, we just want to thank you for the fact that you know us. And God, we thank you for the fact that when we draw near to you, Lord, you meet us. You draw near to us, and we're grateful for that. And so we bring everything to you now. And Lord, we even just say, Lord, Lord, I draw near to you now. Would you speak to me in these next moments? And so would you have that, even that kind of a conversation with the Lord, just individually, just would you say, Lord, I, I come to you. I draw near to you, Lord. Now would you draw near to me? Would you speak to me? So go ahead and do that on your own. Lord, we offer that prayer because we trust you, and um, Lord, we thank you for that. Just the reality that, wow, when we draw near to you, Lord, you're right there. You know us, and uh, you're there for us. So we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning, we're in, in part five. We're in our, our final part in this series that we've been in uh, called Prepared. And I just want to encourage you, if you've missed any of the messages in this series, you can go online to brookside.net and you can find all those messages. You can go ahead and get caught up. We've heard great things about um, the content of the series and so would encourage you to, to check that out. As you know, it's no fun to be uh, unprepared in life. Last night I had... Um, uh, what I call the pastor's nightmare. It's the times, and I don't have these like weekly, um, but I do have them fairly often. Um, it's the, the, the nightmare. I get woke up in the middle of the night, and I, it's as though in my dream I'm standing before a group. And last night it was this. I, I had woken up, this is the dream, at 6 in the morning and realized that I was supposed to preach this weekend today, but I hadn't prepped all week. Not a good feeling, right? That's the pastor's nightmare. And, and uh, so that feeling of being unprepared is, is horrible, isn't it? You might know what it's like. You maybe you have had an experience, maybe it's a job interview you went into and you weren't quite ready for it, or it was a, a really um, a delicate conversation, and, and instead of getting prepped for it, you just went in and fumbled through it and uh, caused all sorts of problems, and you wish on the back end of those situations, you wish, oh, I wish I could get a do-over. It was a big game, and you felt like, wow, this is, this is important for us. We got to do really well here, but you weren't prepared, and so it didn't go well. 
I remember having a high school coach, and he was constantly driving into us, high school wrestling coach. He said, boy, the way that you prepare is the way that you perform. You know, that was his motto. And so he would constantly say, practice well, practice well, and then you perform well. In this series, what we're doing is this. We're saying, okay, what are five things? What are five questions that we want to be prepared for? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, questions that you would say, you know what, I want to have an intelligent answer for this. Um, Or maybe you would say this, I'm a parent. And you would say, you know what, there these questions, I want to be able to share the answers with my kids. I want my kids to confidently be able to, to, to answer these questions, to defend the, the hope that they have in Christ. Or maybe for you, you're here this morning, and I commend you for this. You're on kind of a journey, and you're going, before I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I want to make an intellectual, wise decision before I take that huge step with my life. And I commend you for that. What you're saying is this, I want, you, want, you want to be prepared. You want to be ready to make a smart, smart decision. The theme verse that we've been talking about as we've been going through this series is this. It's from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. And <clears throat> in this passage, Peter is talking to a very young church. And uh, he says this, he said, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Peter's not saying, hey, I want you to be able to give an answer to any Bible question that comes your way. But Peter is saying this, when it comes to the hope that you have, that the bottom line, the things that rise, the the answers to the questions that build the foundation of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, Peter says, don't be caught speechless. Don't be caught speechless. Don't be caught like, oh, I really don't know. Peter says, no, no, you need to be be prepared, Be, be ready for that. And so in this series, we really started at a very logical point. We started the very first week asking this question. Here it was, how can we know that there is a God? From there, we we built on that and we said, okay, is Jesus the only way to God? Then in week three, we said, can we have confidence in the scriptures? Can we have confidence in the Bible that we teach out of every week? Number four, how can a loving God allow suffering? We tackled that last week. And I just want to say to you on the front end, if these questions have been helpful to you, Or if you feel like, you know what, I'd like to hear more on those questions or even more questions like them. I want to tell you about something that will be coming after the first of the year. We're going to be offering a a 10-week class called Christianity Amidst the Questions. And so I would encourage you, again, if you would like a maybe a more interactive setting to wrestle with some of these foundational questions upon which the hope that we have is built, I would encourage you to, uh, to check that out. You'll be hearing more about it as it approaches. Well, our final question for today is this, and it's, it's a big one. Question five is this, can I have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Can I have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus rise from the dead, or is there some other theory out there? Was the body stolen? Did something else happen to it? Or can I have confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Is there compelling evidence that Jesus was seen alive? Is there compelling evidence then that he was seen dead and then that he was seen alive once more? Because if there is, that's a very, very big deal. This question is huge. All of Christianity hangs on the answer to this question. It impacts us all in a a very real way. If the resurrection is true, you can bank on the teachings of Jesus Christ. If the resurrection is true, what Jesus said, we've got to take seriously. If the resurrection is true, when Jesus said, okay, I'll offer people forgiveness of sins, I'll offer people a better way to do life, when he said that, if the resurrection is true, we can go confidently, okay, I'll give my life to that cause. I'll follow him wholeheartedly. Not because it's just my preference, 
but because, no, I know based on fact I can do that. I want to do that. The question is this. When Jesus said this in John chapter 11, when he said, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he said, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. The question is, was Jesus predicting the future or was he lying? Was he saying, okay, this is going to happen and it was true? Or was Jesus, was he lying in that moment? I want to bring this picture up. This is a picture of a, of a linchpin. I've got one here in my hand as well. This one's from our snowblower at home. Now, if you know what a linchpin is, a linchpin, you use them in several different ways. But for, the, for our snowblower, the linchpin goes through the axle on the outside of the wheel. And if you take the linchpin out, the wheel will fall off. So let's say we go home today and... And I hope this doesn't happen, but say we get a foot of snow this afternoon. Anybody be excited about that? Nobody, okay. Um, so let's say that that happens, though. We go out, we start up the snowblower, put that thing in gear. All of a sudden, we're moving forward. Within a matter of seconds, what will happen? Wheels will fall off. Yeah, wheel will fall right off. That snowblower will be of absolutely no use. Imagine you've got a, a long string of train cars. And those things are all held together. Let's say that at, at one certain point, they pull the pin. They pull the linchpin. From that point on, that train will come to an absolute halt. It's been said about Christianity that the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's the linchpin. It's the thing that holds it all together. It's been rightly said that the resurrection is the linchpin of Christianity. If it's true, if the resurrection really happened, then you and I take Christianity in a completely serious tone. Um, the teachings of Jesus Christ, they really sink in for us. Because here's why. If the resurrection is true, then what Jesus said is true. Now some would say, even if the resurrection is not true, Jesus was a good moral teacher. But the reality is this. If the resurrection is not true, Jesus was lying. He was incredibly misled. Because what did he do? Over and over, Jesus pointed to the fact, I'm going to suffer, he said. I'm going to die for all of mankind so that I can pay for their sins. But, he said, one day I will rise, then three days after the crucifixion, I will rise from the grave. And so Jesus was either telling the truth, he was projecting forward, or we could say he was, he was lying. On a very practical level, this hits. And this is why this is so important. This was fun to hear about just this last week. Two of our volunteers are leading a class called Surviving the Holidays. It's for a group that's gathered together to support each other in a time of grief. Now, here's the thing. The reason why Sherilyn and Sam were able to lead that class and to point others to the hope that they have in Jesus Christ, it's directly tied to the answer to this question today. The hope that we have in Christ, it's built on. It's completely dependent on the answer to the question, did Jesus Christ really rise from the dead? Can we have confidence in the resurrection? You might find yourself here today and you would say, you know what? I've got good questions about Christianity. I've got some critical questions that I want answers to. I would say to you today, if the resurrection is true, if you can land the plane on this one, your other questions will become secondary. This question is a game changer. We cannot dismiss Jesus if we can't dismiss the resurrection of Christ. A very sharp pastor named Tim Keller, he, he put it like this. He said, sometimes people, they approach me and they say, I really struggle with this aspect of Christian teaching. I like this part of Christian belief, but I don't think I can accept that part. I usually respond, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? 
The issue on which everything, here it is, everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Uh, That is how the first hearers felt when they heard reports of the resurrection. They knew that if it was true, it meant that they can't live, we can't live our lives any way that we want. It also meant that we don't have to be afraid of anything, not Roman swords, not cancer, nothing. If Jesus rose from the dead, it changes, here it is, it changes everything. From the standpoint of the scriptures, the earliest followers of Jesus Christ, they echoed that same tone. The earliest followers said, it's the linchpin. Everything holds together if the resurrection is true. The apostle Paul, he put it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He said this. He said, and if Christ has not been raised, if Christ has not been raised, he said, our preaching, it's useless. And that's a big statement. And he said, and so even bigger, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified, meaning this, he's saying, we've given everything for this. We've testified about God. We've seen it ourselves that he raised Christ from the dead. It's incredibly huge. One scholar put it like this, without the resurrection, the gospel would be empty. A hopeless message of meaningless nonsense. Unless our Lord conquered sin and death and made a way for us to follow in that victory, there is no gospel to proclaim. Everything. Everything hangs on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I want to give you five reasons why you can walk out of here today and you can say, I confidently can walk out of here believing in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one is this. We're going to start with what's most obvious. Number one, the tomb was empty. Think about this for a second. Um, If Jesus was dead and if his body was buried, where was the body? This is foundational, but it's a good starting place. To this day, it's not commonly debated that the tomb was empty. Jesus was crucified. Jesus was then put into the tomb, taken off the cross, put into a tomb in Jerusalem. And three days later, as a matter of undebated fact, the tomb was empty. The tomb where he was laid. Uh, Another strong piece of evidence behind this uh, comes from Matthew chapter 28. Uh, Here we have this. We have these Roman guards that they're standing outside. They're protecting this tomb. And all of a sudden, the tomb is empty, and, and what do they do? They have to come up with a story in order to protect themselves. Their story supports the foundational facts that the tomb was empty. If you're going to make a case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the empty tomb is the starting place. Reason number two, here it is. The strength of eyewitness testimonies. The strength of eyewitness testimonies. The list of, in, of credible Eyewitness testimonies to Jesus Christ, it is compelling. Um, Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He said, For what I have received, I have passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than, here it is, more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. He appeared to people. He, it was a big deal. There were thousands of witnesses that were in the best, best position to check out the evidence of was Jesus really around post-resurrection. There were a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of them. Now, here's the interesting thing. Many of the people that opposed Jesus, enemies of Jesus Christ, 
because of his post-resurrection appearances, what do they do? The eyewitness accounts, they put their faith in Christ. Acts chapter 6, we see this. It says, so that the word of God spread, uh, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. And here it is. And a large number of priests became obedient to the truth. These were Jewish priests, right? What did they do? They became obedient to the truth. Why? Because they were either an eyewitness, uh, gave an eyewitness account themselves, an eyewitness, or they knew someone close to them who was. It gave them confidence. In Acts chapter 15, we see this. There's a group that were, they were adamantly opposed to Jesus Christ. When you hear the word, the Pharisees, if you've been around church very long, you know the Bible very well at all, you know that they weren't, they weren't favorably disposed to Jesus Christ. Yet we see this in Acts chapter 15, that a group of them, what did they do? They turned the corner. They put their faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because they saw him. They were an eyewitness, gave eyewitness account to it. Or they knew someone who did see him post-resurrection. Imagine if you were charged with a a crime. And uh, imagine uh, you walked into the courtroom and you had next to you one eyewitness that could help build your case. That could help um, allow you to get a favorable sentence because they were with you and they know you didn't commit the crime. Now, that would be a good thing for you. That would be strong in a court, in an actual courtroom, to have one good eyewitness who could claim, hey, no, no, I, I was with him. I know exactly what happened. Imagine this, though. Imagine you walk into the same courtroom, and you're there, but it's not just you and one witness and your lawyer, but in addition to that, there are hundreds of people. So now the courtroom is full of eyewitnesses, people that are saying, no, that we, we actually saw this. Um, And then not just the courtroom is full, but we're talking hundreds. So imagine the hallway outside is full. Imagine the stairs going up to the courtroom are full. That's what it was like. There were hundreds of people. This was a huge, huge deal. And on basis of this alone, you and I can have incredible confidence in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The eyewitness testimonies are huge. Reason number three, here it is. There were numerous post-resurrection appearances of of the risen Christ. There were numerous. Jesus appeared to groups, groups as large, 1 Corinthians, as large as 500. He appeared to individuals. He appeared to men. He appeared to women. He appeared to crowds, inside, outside, walking, sitting, eating, drinking, cooking, and, and conversing. Over what? Over a period of 40 days. It's huge. A lot of people saw Jesus post resurrection. If it had been just one empty tomb, and if Jesus could have just produced one, one good eyewitness, we might be able to say, oh, that's pretty, that's, that's okay, but it's pretty disputable still. But when you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of witnesses, it goes through the roof, the credibility. Also know that seeing Jesus post-resurrection, it had an incredible impact on people. Get this, 10 of the apostles and other disciples, they were, when they were pushed to the point of death, when they were pushed, you either choose death or you choose having confidence in the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. When pushed to that point, they chose death. Why? Because they saw Jesus. It changed them. These were people that weren't always confident pre the resurrection. Think of the example of Peter just alone. Imagine this. I mean, Peter, when, when Jesus was being led to the cross and, and they were starting to go after the people that had been associating with Peter, they approached Peter and said, didn't we see you with him? And what did Peter do? No, not me. Huh? 
He was a coward in those moments. Three times, what did he do? He denied Jesus Christ. Yet 30 years after this resurrection, Peter sees Jesus rise from the dead. He sees him post-resurrection. 30 years later, what does Peter do? Peter gives his life. Why? It's not because he learned how to be courageous. Peter gives his life because he saw Jesus, and it changed everything for him. It was huge. Reason number four. There it is. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection before the fact. Reason four, why you can have confidence in the resurrection. Jesus predicted it would happen. Nine times we see this in the New Testament. What does Jesus do? Jesus predicts that he will suffer, that he will die, but that's not the end. Jesus predicts, okay, I'm going to rise from the dead. We see this in Matthew chapter 16. It says this. It says, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem... That happened, and he suffered many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. This is what it looks like in the book of Luke, another example of this. What is Jesus doing? He's, predict- he's projecting forward. This is going to happen. He says, and he said, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And what did he say again? Jesus projecting forward, on the third day I'm going to rise again from the grave. A few weeks ago we talked about the reality of the Bible, the the reliability of the Bible. And uh, we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament alone there are 353 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. 353. So when we look at the scriptures, so when we look at that account in Matthew, when we look at that account in Luke, we can go, whoa, we can have major confidence in the scriptures. When Jesus said it, we can have confidence in it. Jesus projected what would happen, and time and time again, we see that he delivered. It gives me confidence in my faith. Reason number five, here it is. Other explanations, they don't hold up. Other explanations, let me give you some examples. One would be that the body was stolen. Another would be, another popular one, um, it's, it's known as the, the swoon theory. And it states this, that Jesus was nearly dead, right? So Jesus comes off the cross, he's put in the tomb, and he was nearly dead. I mean, it appeared that he was dead. And so he's put in this cold tomb, that, you know, the stone is rolled in place, but three days later he wakes up. He comes to, he was never dead, he comes to, somehow he gets out of the burial stuff that he was in, we'll talk about that, and then he, somehow he rolls the stone away, and then somehow he walks out of the tomb. Now there's a reason why that's not held in high esteem, that theory anymore. If you really consider, and please do, if you really consider the detail of the torture of Christ, think about it, I'll just tick through some of these Think about the crown of thorns. What would that do to him? Think about the death sentence practice of scourging. If you look at just the practice of scourging alone that Jesus Christ endured, I'll tell you, that's a game changer for you. That was a death sentence. Think about that. Then what did he do? Then we've got the journey to the cross. That was brutal for Jesus. Then the actual crucifixion. Jesus being impaled, spikes through his hands, spikes through his feet. Not a a small thing, is it? And then this, he's taken off the cross. After he's hung on the cross for many hours, he's taken off the cross. He's prepared for burial. Joseph of Arimathea prepares this this place for him, buys a place for him to be be buried. It's a big deal. He's then prepared for burial. 
It said, it's not debated, that there were over 100 pounds of spices that were put in the layers of his wrappings. This wrapping that was around his body when they buried him, no small deal. How did he get out of that? You combine that with the fact that there were guards who were standing there, standing post, and, and you think then that Jesus rolled, he woke, wakes up, somehow he gets out of all of that, no medical attention by the way, hours and hours, days now later, and he rolls the stone away by himself, he stands on those feet that have been pierced by a spike, and then this, then he shows up to his disciples and he says, come follow me. What do you think they would have said? I think they would have said, ooh, that was a close one on the death thing. We're done, you know? You said that, we're, we're out. This theory doesn't hold up. It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't hold water, and it's not highly regarded. Thomas R. Arnold, a historical scholar, he commented on the resurrection, and, and he said this. He said, thousands and tens of thousands of persons have gone through it piece by piece, talking of the count of the resurrection, as carefully as every judge summoning upon a most important case. I have myself done it many times over, not to persuade others, but to satisfy myself. I have been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who have written them about them. And I know, here it is, of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved to, by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God hath given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. It's powerful. Not a, this is a sharp guy. We can have confidence this morning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the empty tomb. We can have confidence this morning in the resurrection of Jesus Christ because of the eyewitnesses. We can have confidence in the resurrection because what did Jesus do? Jesus said it's, it's going to happen and we see, wow, fulfilled prophecy is a pattern of scripture, not even debated we can have confidence in the resurrection because there's weakness, a lot of weakness in the theories surrounding it that would say it's not true. So I asked the question this week, so what do you do with this? What do you do with the, the weight, the magnitude of the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I mean, where does, that, where does that lead us if it's true and we can confidently believe it is? Where does a series even like this lead us to? I think it takes us to this. I think it takes us to a natural fork in the road. A natural fork in the road. Because you could hear this, and one option would be this. One option would be you could just dismiss. You could just dismiss it. You could say, okay, that, that was good to hear, but I, I, I don't believe. I walk away from that. I'll, I'll just say to you, I hope, I pray honestly, that as we've gone through these five weeks together, that if you've come in with a mind that, that you're open to truth and you want to make an intelligent decision, I hope that you've been convinced because it, it's convincible. The evidence is that good. But you know this as well as I do. God is not the type that he will force himself on you. But as we said earlier, those who draw near, those who come near to him, he welcomes you with open arms. He welcomes you with love and grace. And so you can dismiss it or the other response is this, it's just to say, the other option is to say, I respond. 
It's to say, I embrace the teachings of Jesus Christ. I take them as not just opinion, but because of the resurrection, I take them as fact. And what does that do for us then? Here's it is. It compels us. I mean, it calls us. Not just to say, okay, this is just some good ideas that Jesus came up with. But no, it, it compels us. It leads us to enthusiastically respond to him. I want to show you the, uh, the response, the experience of the two women that when they approached the tomb, and I mean, get, this is, I, I think this is one of the most amazing pictures in the scriptures after studying this this week. These two women, they went to the tomb and imagine the emotion that they went with. Their Lord, Jesus Christ, had been crucified. These two women, they saw it. They saw it. And so they go to the tomb. What are they doing? They're paying their respects to Jesus. They want to honor him. And while they're there, while they're approaching the tomb, an angel appears to them. Matthew 28, it says this. It says, the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Now imagine this moment. I wonder for them if they were like, really? Like, are you serious? I mean, he said he would, but, but really? It says, then go quickly, after you see him, after you see the empty tomb, go quickly and then tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead and he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. What a moment. Suddenly Jesus met them and he says, greetings. I wonder how he said it, like greetings or Greetings. You know, I don't know. But greetings, he said. And they came to him and says, imagine this picture. It's beautiful. What do they do? What's their response? They clasped his feet. So they're on their faces. They clasped his feet. And it says they worshipped him. They could have asked him a question. Could have said anything, right? They could have had a little dialogue between each other. But the natural response to the risen Jesus Christ was what? It was worship. It was worship. It was full-on worship. And I bet you in that moment, I bet you as they clasped his feet, I bet they cried and they cried and they cried. Tears of joy. I mean, this was Jesus. This was the one that said, and they had put their faith in this. This was the one that said, you believe in me? I'll forgive your sins. I've come that you might have life and have it all in all of its fullness. Jesus made a lot of promises, and in that moment, they knew those promises were true. And so what did they do? Oh, they just, they worshipped him. What a picture. Church, I think this is a, a call for us. When you and I really think about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, I think this is going to elevate our worship. We're going to close with a song here today. I think there'll be a little more emotion in the room, and rightly so, because he is the resurrected Christ. This is how the disciples responded in Matthew 28. It says, then the 11 disciples, they went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, what did they do? They worshipped him, but some doubted. Some still had, some still had question. They were still wrestling. But then Jesus told them, and this is, I think, very important for us this morning. How do we respond? Jesus told them immediately. He said this in the rest of Matthew 28. He said this. This will be your right response. If I've really risen from the dead, which very true at that point, says, then Jesus came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. What Jesus was saying is, in light of what has happened 
Don't just stay where you are. Don't just stay safe. Don't be comfortable. Jesus was saying this. You know what? In light of what's happened, go. Now that you've had this incredible boost, now that you know it's true, what should you do? Don't just play it easy. He says, no, you should go. You should go. You should live with the mindset that every single person's life on planet Earth would be better if God were in the center of it. That mindset, he's saying, that should drive you. You might stumble through that conversation. That's okay. But Jesus was saying, boy, if that truth, if it grips you, don't just sit. Don't just sing. He says, I want you to go. Worship me that way. So I think we have two options this morning. One, we dismiss and reject. And the other option is that we respond. We respond with action. Jesus says, go. The apostle Peter, he put it like this when, or the apostle Paul, he writes in 1 Corinthians 15, he gives us an entire chapter on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul says this, in that entire chapter, he's saying basically the linchpin, it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul just Read 1 Corinthians 15. And then he says this, since the linchpin is the resurrection of Christ, and since Paul had seen Jesus post-resurrection, he says this with a lot of confidence to this church. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, meaning I love you, here's some instruction for you. He says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully, not half-hearted, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord, here it is, is not in vain. Paul's saying this, in light of the resurrection, when you serve, I mean, there are scores of people serving in this building this morning. When you do that, it's not in vain. Because of the resurrection, you can stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Why? Because he rose from the dead. It's, it's not in vain. When your accountant sits across from you and he looks at you and he says, are you sure? Are you, I know you're generous, but really? When that happens, remember, it's not in vain. He rose from the dead. He's God. He's worthy of our worship. When you look across the street and you say, I'm not going to get this perfect, but I'm going to extend an invitation, or I'm going to share the hope that I have. I'm prepared enough. I'm going to share the hope that I have in Christ. Even if you mess up that conversation and it doesn't go exactly how you want it to go, the fact that you do it, know this, be reminded, be encouraged this morning, it's not in vain. It's not in vain. Why? Because Jesus rose from the grave. It changes everything. In Acts chapter 2, the apostle Peter, he was standing before a crowd and He's telling them about the hope that they can have in Christ. And at one point he says this. He said, God raised Jesus to life. And he says, he's amidst all of his apostles, he says, and we are witnesses of it. Meaning, we've seen it. And something happened in that crowd. It was driving people to a fork in the road. And so somebody stood up representing I would, the group, I would imagine, and they said this. Brothers, what should we do? We've heard you, Peter. We've heard you talk about it. We trust what you're saying. Well, what should you do? And Peter replied, he said this, when you come to the fork, he said this. He said, repent. He said, oh, just turn. If, if your life is in such a way that you are at the top, it's about you and not about God, he said, repent, just turn it. He said, you turn from your ways, you turn to God. That's what Peter would say to do. This morning, we can respond in that way or we can reject, we can dismiss. We can worship. We can go. We can be the kind of people that because of the resurrection today, you and I were reminded 
It's not in vain. It is, it, it is not in vain. Let's do this. In light of the fact that the resurrection changes everything, um, let's, let's just pray together. Heavenly Father, there are multiple ways in which we can worship you this morning. Um, we can worship you in song, which we'll do with enthusiasm because you're the risen Lord. Lord, we can worship you in our actions, God, by the things that we do. And we pray, God, that you would just continue to lead us to do so. And then, Lord, for those that are here today, there's another way we can worship you today, and that's to trust you. That's to say, you know what? I put my faith in the one who said he was dying for me. I put my faith and my confidence in that. Why? Because of the linchpin. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the confidence that we can have in it. So, Lord, boost our faith today. Lord, draw us to yourself. Lord, we love you. And, Lord, we pray now as we worship you that you, our great, great God, would be honored. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.